right, starting point, kind of a main idea for, t- for today is this. Can I have that slide, please? Not your treasure to bury. We're going to talk about talents or gifts today. Every Christian has gifts, abilities, or talents that are from God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are to be a part of one local church body where those gifts are used in mutuality to one another and together for the kingdom. So we all have gifts, talents, or abilities, right, that God has given us that when empowered by the Holy Spirit are useful for the kingdom, right? They advance the kingdom, not just useful for people or for worldly things, but are useful for the kingdom. And that we are called to use those things in mutuality, sharing those things, having those things for the common good. And that that, through the local church, will advance the kingdom here locally. So that's kind of our main idea, our starting point. We're gonna, again, 1 Corinthians 12, so let's back up to verse 1. And here's what Paul says. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So, spiritual gifts. I want to give a little definition of that because that can sound, I don't know how that can sound, but it might be confusing. It might lead you to think something and and maybe, uh, you know, either elevate some gift over another or it might say, okay, this is something that is not, you know, something I've had before. What does this exactly mean? And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. So another way of saying that, I want you to be informed about the gifts that God has given you, about the spiritual gifts that God has given you. And so I want to define this as any gift, ability, or talent that we've been given by God that we are called to use for God's glory, okay? And that we're called to use for God's glory. Paul is, and understand this, Paul is writing to a local church, right? He's not writing like we read it today, like he's writing it to every Christian everywhere for all time. Now, God has some of that intention as Paul writes it. Paul wants every Christian throughout history, past, present, future, he wants all of us to read it. He wants all of us to understand it. He wants all of us to be informed or educated about spiritual gifts. But he uses the author Paul for that purpose. Paul's purpose is to write to the church in Corinth right? It's like saying, okay, church in Cerritos or Generations Church, here's a letter, right? It is particular to a local church. And one of the things we've talked about in this Not Your Treasure to Bury series is this, that we're only aiming at what God calls us to do through the local church. There is more out there. Many of you that have been around for a little while know that in the short four years that Generations has been a church, we've helped start three other churches that we've planted other churches. One of those churches is now planting another church. So a fourth church is kind of coming out of this stream. And then there also, if you're around last year, we sent out Pastor Vinny and his family to go restart a church in Idaho. Uh, Oddly enough, where God had already arranged, where Brandon April Torres and some of the people you may know are out there already. And now they're all working together. In fact, they're in church right now. And they're working together to help restart a church that's been struggling. So we know that there's more that doesn't just happen here locally. But we're focusing on what does God call us to do here at Generations. And that's who Paul is writing to is a local church. He's saying, listen, you've been given gifts, abilities, talents. You've been given things that you can use. And when they're empowered by the Spirit, which we'll see in a minute, they're useful for the kingdom. That they can be used through the local church to advance God's mission in the community. So I want you to think about some things today, and I'm going to give you, I'll give you some more in just a minute, but 
Consider how you were gifted. What are you good at? How are you wired, right? Well, what are the things, talents, gifts, abilities? What is, when I say that to you, what is it in you, right? Consider how you're wired. Like, how are you built? What is your makeup? Like, do you, are you able to see the problems and things and help unwind them? Are you, are you kind of that person that can come alongside others and encourage them? Like, what, what is your makeup? How are you wired? Wired by God, right? How are you passionate? Like, what are the things that excite you that might be useful for the kingdom? And maybe you don't have a paradigm for that. Maybe you're like, hey, man, I'm really into football, but I'm not exactly sure how to use that for the local church, right? Well, maybe there's something there. Maybe it's coaching kids football, or maybe it's creating a football league or something, right? I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, preaching, worship, whatever. It doesn't have to be that. Just what are you passionate about? What are you gifted at? And, and I would say this, not everything qualifies maybe, Maybe not. Maybe there's a creative way to figure that out. But also, as we look at this, when you answer that question, where are you gifted? Oh, I'm really good at this. Understand that gifting also kind of has to be seen by the community, right? Sometimes we might think we're really good at this, and, and maybe we're not, right? <laughs> maybe we're not. That's okay. So there's, there's a mutuality in that. How, what, how do I feel like I'm gifted? And what do I think I'm good at? What am I passionate about? And what does the church see in that? And listen, there's flaws in that too. The church isn't always good at taking what you're passionate about and what you're good at and fitting it into ministry. Sometimes there's just a paradigm shift that they're trapped in an idea of what ministry looks like and they're not able to figure out like, well, how does my passion for football fit into this, right? Maybe that's a problem in the church. Sometimes we just have to be realistic and say, okay, maybe this isn't your gift set, maybe something else is. Or maybe this isn't useful at this point in time, but maybe this is. And so those are the kind of questions I want to talk about today in giftedness, right? So again, Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I want you to inform yourself about this. I want you as a church to understand giftedness like you understand the topics we've already covered, community, giving, things like that. Like I want you to understand prayer. I want you to understand how you're gifted and how you use that for the local church. That's what Paul is saying. Verse two, you know that when you were pagans or not believers yet, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So there's a conversation Paul is having with the church in Corinth. Understand the church in Corinth, right? They're a Corinthian church. A, a, they come from worshiping many gods, the plurality of Roman and Greek gods. They have their own issues, and they were called out of this lifestyle. They began to be followers of Jesus. Now, he's writing to the church an entire letter, right? In fact, it's in a series of several letters. Two of them are in the Bible, and he's speaking to them about certain things. This is an area of their, their pagan past or their, their, uh, their worshiping false gods past that he's addressing throughout the letter. For us this morning, it's not that important. But he makes an important state statement about it. He says, no one can say Jesus is cursed, uh, you know, and having the Holy Spirit in them. And no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. But here's the Here's the point that's relevant for us today. So if that's really confusing, you're like, okay, where's he going? Understand that he's having another parallel conversation about this. 
And just know this, anybody can say the words, Jesus is Lord. It's not what he's saying. No one can proclaim from their heart Jesus as Lord apart from God's work inside them through the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And no one who has the Holy Spirit in them is going to jump up and curse Jesus. Fair? What I think is relevant for us today is this. These are just words. But the meaning behind them or the power behind them resides in if the Holy Spirit is in you or not. Another easier way to say that is a Christian will say them meaning one thing, a non-Christian will say them meaning another. Okay? And I don't mean Christian means attend church, gives, serves. I mean truly given over to following Jesus, whatever that means. Okay? We can talk about that looks like, but if this is a heart level thing. That you cannot say these words and mean them apart from the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit inside you. Now, the reason this is important for us, as we look at spiritual gifts, there are things that you are naturally, when I say natural, it's the opposite of spiritual, right? Humanly good at. That when empowered by the Holy Spirit can be useful for ministry. Just like the words, Jesus is Lord, that anybody can say, all the difference in the world is the Holy Spirit using them, right? All the difference in the world and what those words mean is relative to our heart and the Holy Spirit. The same thing is true about gifts, talents, or abilities you might have. Maybe you're really good at mechanical things, and you use that as a job, and you do that, and you, you build, fix, or create stuff, make stuff work better, whatever it might be. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, those skill sets used for the local church can be a spiritual gift. You following me? Could be a human thing. Could be something we're naturally good at since we've been born. Maybe we're just naturally good at language or we're naturally good at math or whatever it might be. We're just naturally good at finances or we've developed skills. We've gone to school to be something in accounting, a CPA or something. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, used for the local church, that can be a spiritual gift. I don't want to limit spiritual gifts to just these powerful, amazing, miraculous things that don't often take place, and then all of us think, well, you know, most of us think, well, I don't have any of that. What about the giftedness you do have? So I want to widen it out, and by allowing Paul's words about Jesus is Lord, those words being empowered by the Holy Spirit, we know they're just words. But empowered by the Holy Spirit, they're different. This message today, me standing up here, apart from the Holy Spirit, does nothing. Okay? They're just words. The Bible, apart from the Holy Spirit, still just words. Words God has superintended throughout history, uniquely put together, it's something God is incredibly intentional about, but apart from the Holy Spirit, powerless. You with me? Same thing in your giftedness. So I want to widen this view of what we're gifted about or how we're gifted. So here's a, here's a note for spiritual gifts. Next slide, please. Gifts, abilities, or talents given to followers of Jesus that when empowered by the Holy Spirit glorify God. These may be things given to us from birth that are used for the kingdom or something that appear after coming to faith, right? Didn't know about any ability to teach or do anything else before I came to faith. Maybe that was developed later. Some other things that I do, maybe that was from birth. Used by the Holy Spirit, 
spiritual. You with me? All right. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So variety of gifts, lots of gifts, talents, and abilities. Not just a short list. We get a couple different passages in Scripture that give us lists. None of them are intended to be complete lists. They're just lists. They're examples. They're ways that we see God moving. If I were to make a list today just sitting here and looking around the room, I would do that. It would never be a complete list of all the ways that God works throughout people, right? You see how hard that could be to even try and do. So variety of, ser of service. There's lots of serving opportunities in the church, always has been. And I think the church 2,000 years later, so you know, almost 2,000 years after Paul writes these words, I think the church has become more complex. Maybe that's something we need to consider. Maybe that's not great. Maybe it is. But for sure, Paul didn't have this when he was teaching the church, right? You know, and the band, it was different, right? These things were all different. They've moved. The way we do things has moved. There's nothing right or wrong about that necessarily. It's just true. But even back in what feels like the Stone Ages to us, 2,000 years ago, as Paul is writing this, they had all kinds of opportunities to serve in the church. That's what he's saying. There's all kinds of giftings. He's in lots of variety. There's all ways of living it out. There's varieties of activities, right? Lots of ministries to use your giftedness. That's what Paul is saying. You have to take that and say, okay, he's saying lots of giftedness, lots of ways to serve, lots of different ministries, and then just kind of unpack that in our own setting, right? And again, we've got children's ministry going on, we've got a nursery, we've got all the people in hospitality, we've got the folks that have been doing this all week leading up to this, everybody back in the booth, the band, me, you, ushers, the people that did the printing, you name it, the list goes on and goes on and goes on, right? The bathrooms got cleaned this morning, somebody did that. We like clean bathrooms, that's good, right? Here's what I can tell you for sure. We don't like dirty bathrooms, right? Okay. Lots of people do lots of things that go unseen. Those are their ministries. Lots of people with lots of giftedness, and I don't know of any Bible passage that talks about janitorial as a spiritual gift. But we all want it, right? And when used by the servant of Christ to glorify the body of Christ and serve the body of Christ, you find yourself some spiritual giftedness, right? And sometimes, and I'm going to say this later, I think right at the end of the message, but sometimes in the house of God, sometimes in the family of God, there's some things that are just chores, and there's some other things that are roles. And sometimes the chores just have to get done, right? I'm married, we're at home, sometimes stuff just has to happen. It's not necessarily within my giftedness, but it has to happen, right? Okay. Consider any ministry. Here's our next slide. Most ministries have teaching, admin, volunteer management, care, hospitality, physical setup and teardown, tech needs. Things get done behind the scenes before and after ministry functions, and other happen during. It takes a lot to make any ministry work, and even more to function at its peak. Just consider this, right? In order for this to take place, there's somebody managing sound, right? And there's somebody making sure this microphone is something you can hear. If you're live streaming right now, that's because people are back there live streaming this to you and managing that and putting slides up in place of my ugly mug, and that's good, right? And so there's giving them opportunity. But there's all kinds of things, and I always tell the tech booth, listen, your job is done best when nobody thinks about you. 
Nobody sees you when you're doing your job right. And because of that, we forget that sometimes there's lots of opportunities to serve in the church, considering any ministry, right? Verse 7, super important. If you hear anything, pay attention for the next 30 seconds or so. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Manifestation is a way that the Holy Spirit shows your giftedness or ability. All right? That to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I want to put this up on the screen and work through this for you a little bit. So here's that verse, and here's some ways we need to live this out. So to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. First thing, a gift implies a giver, right? If it's a gift, there is a giver. And if there is a giver, there's probably a particular purpose. Did you see that as true? If there's something that you want your kids to do, and you want them to succeed at it, they're going into a math class, a clown, an accounting class, or something. Or you give them a budget to live on. And a calculator is a gift. It's a tool. It's a resource. There's a purpose, right? To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit, right? To each, gifts are given. A gift implies a giver and a purpose. The second thing is every believer, right? To each is given, right? So every believer has gifts and talents from the Holy Spirit. So again, God has embedded in you Things, gifts, abilities, talents, ways to do things, many of which I can't do or the person next to you can't do, and has given them to you. There's no one sitting in here who's a follower of Jesus. I'd say there's no one sitting in here, period. But for sure, what Paul is saying is anyone who is a follower of Jesus and has the Holy Spirit is gifted. There's some of you in here that think you're super gifted. We talked about that earlier. But there's some of you in here that think you're not gifted at all. And to you, you need to hear this. You are gifted by God for a purpose. You're not excluded from these verses that say everyone, to each, each one of you. Some of you know your giftedness, and some of you have a very low view of yourself and what your abilities are. And I'm hoping today you'll hear at, enough, at least that you are gifted and that we're willing to discover that giftedness together and figure out how that serves the local body. Finally, gifts and talents all differ and complement one each other. Now notice, complement doesn't have an I in it, right? It is not tell them they look good. It means offset and build on one another, right? They are complementary, not free. They build each other up, right? My giftedness and your giftedness need to work together to make our local church much better. They need to build each other, all right? So back to verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Hear this last verse again. All these are empowered by, the, by one and the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who apportions to each one, that's all of us, individually as He, the Holy Spirit, wills. God has gifted you. Through the Holy Spirit, He has empowered you to participate in the local body called the church, right? Now, there's a list of these things, and there is a different day and a different conversation to talk about some of the more miraculous gifts that God does through people. 
I'm not going to talk about that today. We're going to kind of put a pin in that, and we'll look at that on another day when that's the purpose or that's the point. But I do not want to skip these. I want to give you some of these. So consider utterance of wisdom, right? Well, think counseling, discipleship, right? Being a mentor to someone requires wisdom, right? Utterance of knowledge. Consider teaching. And again, discipleship. You've got to know something in order to pass it on, right? Faith. That's the ability to, to trust in God things that you can't see, to believe things that are not there yet that God is doing. That takes faith. And it takes, it's a different kind of faith than saving faith, the belief in Jesus, that, that very thing that God gives each one of us who are followers of Jesus, enough to believe and, and, and to start walking in Christ. But the gifted, the faithful gifted people are those that truly believe God is doing something and their life is just given over to believing things that are not seen or perceived yet. Healing could be anything from the miraculous, like somebody who can't walk walks or blind sees, right? But it can also be things like walking with people through deep, deep emotional wounds or addiction. Walking with, so I, again, 20-something years ago, when God healed me of an addiction, trust me, that was as miraculous as if I was blind and couldn't, and couldn't see and, and got sight. After years and years and years and wrestling with a, with a drug addiction that, that wrecked my life, God healed. So healing doesn't have to be some of the things we think of. There's a lot of ways this applies. Prophecy is more about truth-telling or God's truth-telling than it is about future-telling. That is true about the Bible and what it means here. Most prophecy in the Bible is about God speaking truth to culture, to the people of God, for the most part, the people of God, not even those outside the people of God, but sometimes. And then sometimes it has a future purpose. But most of the time, it is about God's best for the people of God. That's prophecy. Distinguishing between spirits. That's often what our elders and our leaders must do to determine what God is calling us to do rather than what God is not calling us to do, right? Sometimes there's absolutely evil things. And sometimes it's just trying to figure out what is God saying and not the world, and not the busyness of life and culture and everything else. Distinguishing between those things and leading the church. Various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Man, just consider, we live in, in this city or you live around here, right? When we hear this, we immediately go to some, some passages like Acts 2 or other places. But imagine just being able to speak English, Spanish, Mandarin, and Korean living right here. You know how much more ministry you could do? Some people are naturally gifted at language. Now, another day, we can pick apart those passages that talk about tongues, but let me just suggest to you, in every example, every, all, all the examples, it's a known language, and people hear them in their language. Is it a, mystery of a miracle of speaking or a miracle of hearing? I don't know. In some cases, we see speaking for sure, but all the examples we have include people hearing them in human languages, right? Maybe because they were being sent out to tell the world about the gospel, maybe that was the purpose, right? Maybe that's the purpose here. Maybe us being able to relate to our neighbor in a very diverse culture is a piece of the puzzle. Just a thought. Verse 12, so just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. The gospel in this sense is very simple. 
the gospel actually is very simple in its explanation. It's, it's deep in its implication, right? But simply the gospel is that God created you and loves you. We say this all the time. God created you and loves you. We say the same way all the time. Hopefully, when it comes time for you to share the gospel, we have a starting point. You're like, okay, I can hear it right now. God created you and loves you, right? Sin has separated us from God. Sin is simply us doing our own thing and not God's thing, right? It's as simple as choosing our own way over God's way. And because of that, like infidelity in a marriage, it schisms a marriage. It separates a man and a woman. So sin separates us from God. God, not owing us anything, but loving us deeply, pursued humanity. And the only way to reconcile a sinful people with a holy God was for God himself, Jesus Christ, to come in, enter into human history, put on flesh, and live the life that you and I are called to live without fail. We failed, Jesus has succeeded. Where we have dropped the ball, Jesus was victorious. And because of that, making him both God and human and the perfect life, making him the sacrifice for all sin. So for all the church, for all the believers, for anyone who will come to faith, Jesus, his sacrifice is enough. It covers us all. It doesn't just break endemic sin. Like many would say in the Roman Catholic Church, it covers all our sin. There is no more work we can add to what Jesus has already done for sin. In his death, he covers our sin, and in his resurrection, he gives us new life. Jesus ascended back to heaven, pouring out his spirit on all of us. And as we looked at last week, one of the works of the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is create communities of believers, families of God, that we as a church are to see ourselves as more than just a bunch of disconnected people that have to, have, happen to live in a similar area but that we are a family of families. We are a body of Christ, right? The body of Christ here. We know there are other ones, but that we're called here. The family of families language is really my favorite. And I just think of 1 John 3. We have that verse for you. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So I am the child of my mom, and so is my little brother. That by nature makes us family, right? Us being children of God, by nature of that, makes us family. That you and I are part of the family of God, right? Just like me and my brother, we haven't always seen eye to eye. Me and my sisters, right? One of these days, they'll figure out I'm right and they're wrong, and everything will work out just great. Probably not, right? Siblings. Family. That's what we're called to be. That we're to see ourselves at generations as a family. And not family in the sinful sense where some families divorce and some families don't get along, and, but families in the God-created sense. That we are to be a family. That's what Paul is speaking about. Hear his heart. Hear his meaning when he says these things. Here it is. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is, is with Christ. One body. He's not talking about the global universal church. He's talking about the local church. He's writing to the local church. And the points he's going to draw out from this are only applicable in the local church. Right? If, if everyone wants to be one thing in the local church, it'll never get anywhere. And each church has this this plurality of members, these things that do different things. That only applies in the local church. 
Because if everybody's gifted differently, but all the people like that are over here and all the people like this are over here, that doesn't help. Has to be the local church that he's talking about. And he's very clear about that in earlier chapters, but he's saying, listen, you, church, local church, are members of one body. And though your members are many, and it doesn't really mean big church, little church, it's the same for all of them. Though they're many, they're one. So it is with Christ. Christ is uniting. Christ draws together. Christ restores. He restores us to God, God to us. He restores us to one another, rebuilds all the things that sin has torn down, and we become a family inside of Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. I'll I'll come back to that. When you're baptized, you're baptized into a local church, right? You're not just randomly baptized. Okay, so you should not just randomly be baptized, right? Like, hey, you and your buddy are out hiking, and you're like, oh, look, there's water. We should do this, right? I get that there's one example in Scripture. There's the Ethiopian who is never going to be seen again by Philip. And so he baptizes him on the spot. I get that. Every other example, they're baptized into a church, right? And that Ethiopian is going to go home. He's going to share Jesus with other people. Eventually, there's going to be a church, and the Ethiopian church still has people today. So we're baptized into a body of Christ, not the global universal body of Christ. We're baptized into a community. Here's what it says. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. With that understanding, let me just ask you a couple questions. Do you see how powerful this statement is about oneness in the spirit? Could it possibly be a temporary oneness? How could we be baptized into one body, given one spirit, and have that be this thing that is whimsically just kind of, well, I'm going to be a part of this one for a while, and then this one for a while? And yeah, things happen, people move, stuff happens. But I'm talking about all the examples of folks that don't. Listen to his language, right? For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. How is it that we don't treat the local church like that? How is it that we're so easily ready to go and say, okay, God was wrong about putting me here, and I'm going to go over here? And I know, and I know inside many of you are thinking about, well, I left this one church because of this. Maybe it's a valid reason. I don't know. But what if you staying might have made a difference? What if you were a part of the solution? What if we considered this more like a body and just your own body? How how many parts of your own body are you willing to give up? Right? Like we take very serious the things that we have in our body, even the ones we don't understand. We're not quite sure what a tonsil or an appendix does, but we're really slow to go in and give one away, right? And yes, one might donate a kidney to someone else that they love or do something. Yes, I get that. There's always these exceptions to the rule. But we have in turn made church, the leaving church or shopping churches or going from church to church to church to church, we've made that the rule, not the exception. Consider how Paul speaks about this to the local church. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. 
Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, I'm, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Notice that the examples that he gives, hand, foot, ears, eyes, exist on different extremities of the body, right? One's on a leg, one's on an arm, a couple are in the head. They can feel like very disparate groups of people. There are people in the church that feel like hands, others that feel like feet, others feel like eyes or ears or whatever it might be. And they can sometimes exist in very different places and feel very disconnected. But again, we have to go back to our own body and ask, okay, so do my eyes need my hand? Well, yeah, if I want to be able to turn the page, yes, both are super important, right? What about all these other pieces of us where we need to figure out how we're called to gather together? This is why Paul uses this metaphor for the local church of being a body and members or parts or body parts all belonging to one another because it paints such a profound picture that yes, we have 10 fingers, but nobody's donating fingers for fun because everyone's important, right? You're like, man, I got 10. I can give up a pinky. I don't use that a whole lot anyhow, right? No one does that. But we treat the church and others in the church or ourselves in the church like that. Like, you know, we've got a bunch of these. They don't need me. Well, I don't know if that's true. In fact, I'd say it's not true. So if you're kind of following along in notes, so membership is belonging. Being a member of a local church means body, and I don't mean formal membership like in a church, like you go through a class, get a certificate. I just mean belonging, belonging to a body, right? Being a member of a local church body means viewing one another as co-equal and needed, recognizing that the gifts, talents, and abilities of everyone are interrelated and to be shared. No one is extra or unnecessary in the church body. And yes, I, every metaphor falls down on itself somewhere. It's a metaphor. Yes, I get you can live without one finger or all ten or both hands and you can't live without your heart. I get it. It's a metaphor. I would just ask this. How many of you want to live without your hands and keep your heart? No one. People who have lost a hand in injury will tell you how important that, that was. Yes, they figured out how to live. Yes, they wish they could go back and have their hands. Right? or someone who's lost their sight, or speech, or anything, it all becomes very important. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? There is unity in diversity, right? All the examples, feet, hands, ears, eyes, that Paul uses, we all have two of them, right? He's using things that we have a duplicate of, or the photo negative of, if it might be an ear, right? Our hands that complement each other. But just understand, he's saying that knowing that two eyes give us depth perception. Two ears give us a sense of, of where something is occurring when we hear it. Two hands allow us to catch, right? That a lot of folks will be using in the game today. They'll put both hands together, both feet to work, right? Just because there's two of them doesn't mean that one is spare. That together we can do more. You can have a hand and do less than you can with two hands. You do brand new things with two hands. An opposable thumb, pretty cool, right? All our texting takes place right there, right? Maybe not the best example. Our feet, everything. There's two of each of these examples, and yet they're necessary and they make more than just the same thing done twice. 
Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. You need to hear that. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I'm just going to go straight to the screen on this one. God arranged the parts of the body, members in the body. Paul speaks of local churches connected to each other as arranged by God. Modern Christians see their church as temporary and often only based on current needs. New Testament Christians knew one church for a lifetime, viewing church more like a marriage and less like a podcast. Just understand that. Today in a lot of traditions, I, okay, I wouldn't say a lot of traditions. Today in many traditions, as you become a part of that, you take, you take a commitment to a body, a church. Monks, as an example, monastic communities, take a vow of one community for a lifetime. Right? And I'm not saying we should all be monks, but we can learn something from them. Right? The Bible calls us to be husbands of one wife for a lifetime, right? Or wives of one husband for a lifetime. That God calls us to be in a covenant community. And inside those things that God calls us to are going to be seasons that are incredibly challenging. Your wife, your husband is not perfect. And the bad news is, neither are you, right? And if your spouse were perfect, I'm not even going to ask. And if your spouse were perfect, they wouldn't want you, right? And your church is not perfect. We are deeply flawed. But if we were perfect, you wouldn't fit in. I wouldn't be able to lead for sure. But in our flaws and in our brokenness and in our areas of failure, we grow one another. The reason monks take a, a vow of lifetime to one community is because the flaws of that community will sanctify those those monks. It will change them and cause them to be like Christ. Remember what we've been saying throughout this series, 99% of us will live out all our ministry through the local church. There are a percentage of people that will be sent out to go start new churches or reach new people groups. I would suggest those two things are the same thing, but just for some simplicity. Church planting and missions. We see Paul being that kind of guy who goes out I would suggest, though, that he remains being a part of the community in Antioch as long as he can. And then he's arrested and taken to Rome. Still sees himself as a part of a local church, even though he's a guy to go out and start new local churches. We need to identify ourselves better as committed to a body of believers. And I would suggest to you, unless heresy takes place, where people are like, well, Jesus being God, not super important. If that happens, time to find a new church. In the meantime, maybe the flaws and brokenness of who we are are going to help make you more like Jesus. And maybe our strengths, maybe they're going to make you more like Jesus too. Maybe our weaknesses, our empty spaces, are places where we need people to connect and to plug in and grow us. Verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I just want to say this, I know you get the point, but I just want to make this point again. Sometimes the problems in the church, sometimes what you value and what you're gifted in, sometimes the church doesn't hear that, right? And we need to do better at that. We can't do everything, right? That's one of the things that I, I'm constantly trying to navigate is we can't be a church that does everything, right? That we need to figure out who we are and, and what we do and what God has called us to do, and that can't be everything. We're not everything to everyone but we can do, always do more, and we can learn more, and God has you here for a reason. 
And I believe that if, if God brings you here and you're not a believer, I totally understand my, my direction. Like, my job is to share Jesus with you. If you come here and you're a young believer, a new believer, or you come to faith here, it's easy. Our job is to disciple you and grow you. But if you come here a mature believer, if you come here with some length of time and understanding what it takes to follow Jesus, my belief is you're here to grow us. That you exist to help us get to places where God is calling us and we aren't yet. And that often is just a, a thing that we press into and learn about with one another. Verse 22 says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. He's really giving examples of like young believers and non-believers, saying, listen, sometimes you got to focus more on one group maybe than on another group, right? And we give to that. A, a great example of that for us is we've got folks that are older, seniors, that have been around for a long time, and the things that they have given so that this church could reach new people, right? I go back to worship earlier, not what they want to hear. Fair, right? Like they'd love to go back to the pipe organ choir and robes days. The reason they're here is because they know this will reach other people. As we grow and as we mature in our faith, we become givers more than takers. We become those who less of what we want, more of what it takes to reach new people. It requires us to be more selfless and less selfish. And God, and God honors that and grows us that way. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Our community, our church, our local body should so work together that as we suffer together or rejoice together, we feel the weight and the pain and the needs of one another. And we talked about this last week in community, that that's best done in community in small groups where we can know the needs, where we can be real and honest with people, where we can care for things. But as a church, understand this, that our weaknesses, whatever it is in ministry that we're not good at, the things that we have that we need work on, my guess is God has gifted many of you for that. And that whatever we're strong in, people are already plugged into. But wherever we're weak and whatever we need is because we need you that we're all members of one body, that God has got you here for a reason. It says, God arranged the members of the body. I'm guessing that at the end of my life, I would rather look at Jesus and say, hey, listen, I stayed with this one because that's where you put me, rather than look at God and go, hey, so you were wrong, so I went over here. Fair? And while we're here, I took what you've given me, and I tried to use it for the local body. And I worked together with the leadership of the church, and we developed whatever that giftedness into helping care for people. My ask this week, super simple. Where are you plugged into serving the local body for the purpose of Christ? Again, I just I can't use this example enough, but there are people right now in the nursery watching little ones that cry a lot. And they're doing that not because they love the sound of crying babies. They're doing that so that you can be in here. They're serving in that place so that you can be in here. And there's a band who will lead us, and there's tech, and like we already said, and hospitality, people that cleaned, everything. And sometimes, again, there's chores. 
And sometimes there's roles. Sometimes there's things that, hey, I'm really good at and I want to contribute to this, and there's a need, and I want to do that. And sometimes it's just us as a family saying, you know what? The toilet's got to get clean, so we've got to buckle down and do it. I'm going to close with this verse. It says this, verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I can't stress enough that this is not my church, it's your church. It's not me in need of somebody to serve over here or there. It's you. It's your church. It's our church. It's my church because I belong. Because my follower Jesus is committed to this body of believers. From a guy who has started and restarted multiple churches, I truly believe finally God has got me to a place where I get to stay and finish out my years in one place. And I can't tell you how comforting it is for my wife and I to just say, I think we're staying here until whatever. Death, retirement, they're kind of the same thing, right? (laughs) Whatever God has. Here's what I know for me. I'm getting older and less relevant with every day. My job is soon going to be championing younger leaders in our church. It'll be time for me to sit down and be behind the scenes. Whether you're younger or older, it's time for you to figure out where do you contribute to the church. Be listening. In the next 30 days or so, we'll have more on this. We'll have things that we can do to identify your giftedness. And all our ministry leaders have been developing all the different roles in each ministry and a system of getting from one thing to another. And as that is ready, we'll unpack that to all of you. But today I would ask you, what are you doing for the family of families that God has put you in as the church? Let's pray. God, this church is, it's ours. It's yours, but it's ours. It's ours to participate in. It's ours to grow in. It's ours to be a part of. It's ours to contribute to. It's ours to gain from, to grow from, to mature in. Sometimes that's in all the good times, and sometimes that's in the really rough times. But it's ours, and it's what you've given us, and it's our treasure that we're not to bury that we're to make use of the church that we're a part of. And that we are gifted, we have abilities, gifts, talents, we have all these things you've given us, Lord, and it's not for us to bury. And it's not for us to just simply use out in the community to develop a job or an income or something else, but it is for us to use for the local church as well. Somehow, some way, finding ways that we can serve locally, passionately, Lord. And hopefully... Find things that just fit us and we can excel in and just love and enjoy. We also admit there's just chores to do in every family. That we need to share those. We need to do better about that. But Lord, I thank you for the folks that we've got here. For the church that we have that's amazing. For the volunteers that we have that are amazing. For everybody over there working with our children right now, God. Thank you. In light of the impact that Grace made and the the life of service she lived in front of us, and the impact that made. I'm challenged to see that in a new way. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for those who give their lives to serving quietly, never getting the recognition they desire, or that they don't desire, that they deserve, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.